Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to David Philippa, who is a journalist with the S&P Marketing Intelligence Group. We talk about Latin America, which is the area that he covers. And we try and get an insight into what's going on in the markets there and how they're reacting to the COVID-19 lockdown and importantly, what the governments are doing to help. We also touch upon the fintech space. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, David. How are you, sir? Hi, Matthew. How are you? Thanks for reaching out. Yep, very good here. We're um, holed up at home, avoiding each other, uh, but delighted to be talking to you. All right, thank you. It's pretty much the same here, working from home for a while now. Yeah, so getting used to it as well. Good. Okay, so we are talking to you. You work at S&P Market Intelligence. You're in the beautiful city of Buenos Aires in Argentina. Uh, which I haven't been to for about uh, three years now. Uh, It's a wonderful mixture of the old and the new uh, coming coming together. So, um, you know, I do love love where you are. Um, But we wanted to share with our audience uh, some insights into what is happening in South America uh, at the moment. Because obviously with COVID-19, we're all under lockdown. It's affecting a lot of businesses. Um, So... Can you I mean, start off maybe telling us a little bit about what you do at S&P Market Intelligence, please? Matthew, I'm a, okay, I'm, a, I'm a reporter. I'm a financial markets reporter and banking reporter. I work within a newsroom within uh, S&P Global Market Intelligence, which is a data provider for uh, insights provider for investors worldwide. Within our newsroom, which is pretty much scattered, uh, deployed around the globe, we are uh, roughly 500 journalists specializing in different sectors in different geographical areas and we deal with uh, sector inside and pro- try to yield or provide uh, opportunities or, or let's say just insights about opportunities that might arise to investors so myself we are a group in, in Buenos Aires and in the US as well as in Asia we work pretty remotely but reporters in Buenos Aires we cover the main markets here uh, both from the financial angle and, as I said, the financial sector as well. In particular, is our our our, our expertise as well. Okay, and um, you know, we kind of first uh, made aware of you. We read a few of your articles um, talking about the pressure that some of the banks were coming under there because of the you know what's what's happening at the at the moment. Um, so, do you mind if we sort of start with Chile? Just trying to get a, a sense of what's going on there because so we've got a few companies, um, a few investments in Chile. Uh, I wanted to you know, maybe share your views as to Chile as a, a market investment destination um, at the moment. Sure. Well, of course, I, I understand the interest because uh, Chile is, as of now, the uh, strongest credit rating in LAT, in LATAM in South America. So it, it certainly appeals to foreign investors as well, being a somewhat uh, perceived as uh, as one of the safest markets in the region. So of course, I understand the interest uh, about it, and uh, we decided to take a look at Chile. I mean, out of, out of from this crisis, all countries, of course, are uh, on a tight spot. They are under loads of pressure, they fun, their financial sectors are as well as delinquencies in basically every every uh, metric you look is expected to rise. However, in Chile in particular, there's something, uh, there's like a, a singular feature, which is Chile is having two blows in a row. 
in terms of it just came out. It didn't even come out. It was in a pause from the social unrest uh, episodes that burst late last year. Remember, in case uh, in case any of your, I mean, your public is unaware, Chile had uh, in I, I remember in August or late 2019, uh, pretty much like a constitutional crisis or a social crisis in which the government hiked the metro ticket of the Santiago, Santiago, the capital city in Chile. I don't remember a number exactly now, but it was something like 10 cents of a dollar, something like that. Ultimately, that led to a huge amount of social unrest on the streets, taking Chileans on the street, leading ultimately to a constitutional crisis. So uh, Chileans now have to vote whether they will have a new constitution from scratch and it's supposed to include more social concerns to loosen up the fiscal uh, stance that Chile has has gained a reputation for over the past years, past decades, I'd say. So that's a huge shake for the Chilean economy, the Chilean financial sector. Uh, it dealt with lots of protests in the streets. So it's a, it was a pretty wild year last year for Chile. The economy fell by 2.1%. So that's that's significant for Chile because it had been growing for a while. And now you don't have even, I mean, less than half a year later, you have a second blow, which is the COVID crisis. Of course, this is more of a general thing, but it impacts Chile as well in many ways. So we, we decided to take a look of, okay, we got a financial system, very stressed because of what happened last year with banks sort of uh, receiving in their profits by 15, 16%. And now you got another blow, which is pretty much people won't take my, won't, there won't be much to lend uh, at, a, at affordable prices for, for Chileans to take in a, in a way. And then you have delinquencies are going to rise. So how, how do you collect what you, what you have lent so far? So uh, so there's, there's the Chilean economy, there's the Chilean financial sector trying to deal with these kind of things. Fortunately, and maybe we may talk about it later if you like, but the Chilean economy, even though it had an impact last year, it's in a pretty well-positioned uh, it's pretty well positioned to, to, to bear with this. I mean, the government has enough fiscal savings, enough, let's say, uh, I'd say sources say it has adequate ammunition to uh, provide aid, provide support to both uh, measures of relief to borrowers and to the financial sector as a whole. So, of course, in Chile, there will be a growth cost to, uh, to these again. There will be pressure and there will be a growth cost mostly to uh, copper prices, as you know, Chile is very dependent. 40% of Chile's exports are copper, and demand for copper, mainly China, is not uh, is not is not uh, very high these days, as you would know, of course. So there will be a growth cost. However, Chile is among LATAM, one of the most, uh, let's say, one of the countries that has more capacity to deal with this. Okay, that's that's interesting. Especially, I, I didn't realize this. The the copper contribution was as high as forty percent. So, but let's get back to the let's get back to the banks because that there's a lot of pressure on the yeah. banks, and they've got a, they've only got a few courses open to them. And I guess ultimately, my concern would be the flow of 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 uh, capital uh, in the economy. You know, I know you're saying the government is is, is helping uh, people. It's got a store of cash, but that can only go on for so long. How is this going to affect businesses 
going forward. And therefore, from my, my perspective, does Chile still remain a suitable investment destination? Sure. Uh, of course, I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know about a concrete recommendation for for investing, but I, I'd say this: uh, Chile has deployed the government, right, uh, and its central bank uh, a ten percent of GDP aid plan, which is, in relative terms, pretty much similar to to developed countries like the U.S. and other countries. So, it's really trying to keep the engine running. It's uh, it's um, it's providing liquidity. Uh, to, to the financial sector so that there's some so that there's some 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 grease in the engine for it to, to, to I mean to try to sustain lending of course lending is going to be lower in Chile however analysts expect it to remain positive through the year which is not the case in other economies so from the financial sector perspective I'd say this is a stress but uh there's you I mean there's significant intervention by the central uh, bank and the, and the government themselves to try to, to keep the things going. Of course, this, Matthew, as you know, depends on the length of the crisis. I mean, Chilean banks have significant uh, capital, I mean, capitalization metrics. They're adequately capital, capitalized to deal with a rise in provisions, a rise in credit losses, of course, which is expected down the line. However, I mean, if this we were talking before about how, how much, how long this could be, if this goes through 2021, then that's a different thing. If this lasts three months, where well, they can be relief measures for borrowers, they can be significant flow of liquidity into the economy by way of the central bank to keep things going. But then, you know, of course, if there is, um, if this extends too much, then there'll be much trouble. Banks themselves could be on a tight spot if, of course, uh, borrowers don't get back to work for a year or till December, as we were saying. So that's the thing to monitor. It's the length of, of the crisis and, and the uncertainty associated with it. Okay, and, and what's, what's your sense of the mood there? Because obviously um, anti-government protesters, you know, you know clash, clashes you know, just last month, it kind of, it harks back to, throws back to, you know, socialist, socialist governments of the past and behaviors of the past, which again, for investors, you, you, you know, looking from outside, looking in, um, it's not attractive. So what's the mood of the people here? Because like everywhere in the world, people want to get back to work. There's, there's, a, lot of, sure. there's a lot of workers who are not necessarily on the books. There's, we, we call it a sort of black economy here, where people aren't paying taxes, they're paid in cash. Uh, those people can't go and claim help, they can't work. What, what's that going to yeah. do for the economy? Yeah, what you mentioned is, is, is pretty much, I mean, it hits a spot in terms of it's a pretty uh, singular feature of, of EM countries, I'd say, and of Latin America as a whole. Chile, uh, in particular, has better, has more uh, deep, has a deeper, say, financial market penetration, has deeper um, reach of financial products. So I'd say that's more of a problem for economies like Argentina, economies like Brazil, economies like Argentina, where the, the, the share of the unbanked is much higher, which that means the government in their in their intention to aid people cannot get there. I mean, it's beyond the rich, or, or let's say the government has to struggle to provide aid to those people. So that, that significantly hurts the economy. In Chile, of course, that is also true, but to a lesser extent. And what you mentioned is right in terms of you, you, you will not get those people to uh, 
to, to, to consume again so far. So uh, there, there will be there will be pretty much uh, uh, on, on a tight spot in terms of they, they, they won't get enough cash to sort of keep the economy going again. So that's a thing that, that you, you should uh, should be factoring. But let's say more, it's more a feature of other countries. However, confidence, uh, let's say erosion in, in, in business confidence is significant in Chile. Uh, for, from for what I speak, from what I speak to to sources there, and uh, and that should that should that should uh, have a have a significant impact in, on the economy. I'd say in terms of what people are are, are doing there, uh, of course I haven't been there for a while right now because of the isolation measures, and I, I haven't get gotten to to feel you know it, there's a difference in terms of actually being there and and, and reading and talking to sources. However. Uh, yeah, it, it, it seems that, that Chile is in a way, um, I mean, Chile doesn't have as much as strict isolation measure, measures as maybe Peru has, maybe Argentina has. It does have, of course, uh, it recommends people to stay at home. But however, uh, last, time I, last time I spoke with someone from there, uh, it's more of a whether you choose to in a way. Of course, most Chileans choose to stay at home. And that is... Uh, significantly impacting the economy, right? Business. There's no, there's not, there's not much business flow. No, there are sectors which are uh, hampered by this, which are, of course, the, the, the same ones elsewhere. Uh, retail, of course, construction, uh, transportation as a whole. So, so yeah. So that's that's uh, that's something to to note. And uh, just to give you, just to end this uh, question, uh, the, the the estimation right now as of the Chilean economy for this year is a fall beyond 4%, like 4.5% according to IMF. So you see uh, there will be an impact to the economy, which banks will feel and other sectors are also feeling. So the, the interesting um, point, you, you raised some interesting points there. Th thank you for going through that. Um, there's a lot of similarities that countries in LATAM are facing. But what, what are the things that um, some of the countries like Argentina or Brazil or Peru or, you know, to a lesser degree, Colombia, what are the things that they have got in place which they have got right uh, in all this? Because it, it, in business, we would say, you know, you invest in fundamentals because fundamentals don't, don't change. And quite often in a period of a you know, downturn, depression, recession, whatever you want to call it, um, the companies without those fundamentals in place get found out. It's easier to spot. And it must be the same with governments um, in, in LATAM. Mm -hmm. So who to you is standing out for you know, having the right fundamentals in place? I cannot give you an, an opinion on, on policy itself, but I can, I can tell you that we, we were talking about Chile before, right? And, 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 and Chile in a way has out of, out of years of, of a reputation for fiscal prudence and, and a good management of their debt and a low price on their debt as well built uh enough reserves enough enough buffers for for uh for them to take on this new crisis so that, that that's what, uh, that's the reason because uh, for which i was telling you before i mean analysts claim it has adequate ammunition so most of the countries with adequate ammunition uh, are the ones who are sort of say, uh, harvesting good, uh, I mean, solid policies, uh, which have been had been deployed before in a way. That's what analysts say. If you take a look at Peru, for instance, Peru, I, I, I mean, 
I, I wouldn't comment on measures right now because I wouldn't. It's uncertain as well. You, you, I mean, I could tell you that's a good measure, but maybe this is so uncertain and volatile. Maybe three months uh, late, uh, into this, uh, it, it's it's upside down. It backfires. You know, many of the countries here have been uh, praised for the, um, I'd say the. Uh, the tightness of their isolation measures and how it's responded so far in terms of casualties, in terms of contagions. That is true, of course, and and Latin America had the advantage of seeing the crisis first, of sort of getting prepared by a few weeks for it. However, the damage on the economists done by on the, done by by those harsh measures is still to be seen. I was telling you about Peru, for instance. Peru is coming for, from pretty much 20, 25 years of sustained economic growth. So, of course, you see Peru is in a better shape to, to deal with this by, by providing liquidity measures, by providing, uh, yeah, but keeping this, providing aid to, to, to people and most likely most to, to people who cannot get to work and have to stay at home and have zero income as of now. So, Peru in a way, has enough to provide. Then you go into other countries, like, for instance, you take a look into what's happening in Brazil, right next door, which is the, our largest economy in the region. And Brazil has some, some good stuff and some bad stuff from an economic perspective to deal with this crisis. Brazil, for instance, for instance has uh, large central bank reserves, has uh, re relatively good capacity to to in, in terms of its monetary monetary policy to uh, provide liquidity. It's announced uh, a QE program, a, a LATAM version of the QE program we saw in the U.S. And, and Europe. So there's room to provide aid by 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 way of of those measures. On the weak spot, I would say, Brazil, for instance, comes from a from a very mild growth. It's just now recovering from one of its worst recessions in history, 2015, 2016. So only as, I mean, Brazil was starting to get better and then you got this massive blow. So Brazil was in a way weak from an economic growth perspective. That's what rating agencies that I speak to uh, always undermine. I mean, Brazil has some weak growth and that's a weakness to the credit rating. I mean, if you want to take a look at it from a debt perspective, that's a clear weakness. So, uh, and of course, in terms of capacity, it has limits on, on its step levels. It has limits on how much it can place in the market to, to other funds and, and then to disperse. So, so that's, that, that's Brazil, of course. And uh, maybe if you want, we can talk about markets later, but uh, just, to, just to wrap up to Argentina, which is where I am. Um, of course, Argentina is among the uh, most vulnerable countries, as you as you might have heard. Argentina has pre-existing conditions that, even though even before COVID, was making it very hard for the government and uh, for the country as itself to cope with the economic situation. You must have heard some news again as about the uh, the restructuring offer for their debt. So there's no market access. There's significant fiscal deficits. So of course, Argentina. And besides, Argentina has something that very few countries uh, have as of 2020, which is inflation, which is also adds up to, to one of the economic problems. So you got in the LATAM space, you got countries more with a better 
position and a bad position. So I'd say uh, you, you got both. You got both sides of the fence here. It's been it's been interesting times. I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you was kind of um, get an idea of the markets, which we'll talk about in, in, in a second, because. Uh, if I look back to when we started first investing in South America, you know, Brazil was mooted as the great new hope, one of the BRIC countries, you know, Brazil, Russia, India, China. And as it turned out, it, it was just China, um, which is <laughs> not too many, not too many um, letters in that one. So it, it, Brazil's had a sort of fall from grace, uh, as, as it were. We've also got a new very exuberant um, president there. Um, and, you know, how has the, I just want to come back to the, so how has the Brazilian market reacted to having someone like him in charge? I, I, know, I, don't, I know you don't want to talk about politics, so I want to talk about how has the market reacted to having him in, in there? Oh, sure. Uh, the, thing, the, thing, the thing that adds to, adds to, to the Brazilian market's fragility in a way is, for one, growth that we were speaking before, we're talking about before and the thing that the new uh the incoming administration uh almost like a year and, and something i mean the bolsonaro administration coming in and its finance minister paulo Guedes, which is was trained in chicago and is, is believed to i mean was a, a pretty much a market favorite had like a profound uh i'd say um, reshaping in market sentiment in brazil so even though growth was not there to be seen just yet the markets i mean equity markets and debt markets is were on a bull uh, were on a bullish trend they they, they 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 spiked pretty high so you could see great returns last year for brazilian companies brazilian, brazilian publicly traded companies in the bovespa index and you could see a compression in debt spreads in in in, in borrowing costs so it was a very good i mean it was a very good moment that had, had had raised some concerns about valuations in the equity market. Uh, you could see that from 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 the investors' perspective. So when this this this, this whole thing came as a big shock because growth was no there. It was the single thing that that people were worried about that they could not yet see. And then there was the confirmation that Brazil is definitely not going to be see, to be seeing growth this year either. It's going to fall. I got some features here: 5.3 percent this year according to IMF. So it's a pretty sharp fall. As a result, and uh, the Bovespa index has fallen as much as half in dollar terms only in, since February. So you can wow. see you've been pretty much wiping clean four years of returns. So you, if you would have invested in Brazil four years ago, you would have pretty much earned 50% return on dollar terms only to lose it since the COVID crisis uh, burst. So it's pretty much in, that's, that's, that has been pretty much uh, a significant uh, punch, let's say, to investors. I'm not here to say whether it's a good opportunity to invest here at these prices or not. Of course, that's for, for analysts to, to recommend or not. However, the flow has been significant and valuations, which were concerned before, are somewhat back and uh, more, more tied to the historical uh, averages that the Bovespa market have, had seen. And uh, I'd say from the debt perspective, the debt markets, uh, of course, CDS or insurance against default, which S&P provides and uh, uh, the access to that. And uh, you, could, you, could, you could measure credit risk by way of seeing how much it costs to insure oneself against the debt. Of course, 
credit default swaps, as I was, say, was saying, uh, have spiked. So you can see there's higher perceived credit risk in Brazilian, in Brazilian sovereigns and in Brazilian companies as well. This is true of the region, of course, of, if you want, of emerging markets in general, of course. But uh, it's particularly been uh, harmful in Brazil. So just to, to, to wrap up, yeah. Okay. If, if a company... No, so I, I, want, I just want to say, but you know, if you look at some of, okay, you, it's it's maybe a feature of developing markets. If you look at the way that the North American um, exchanges have reacted, they, they they had a drop like everyone else, but have, on the whole, bounced back up. You know, the the equity equity uh, companies are they bounce back up to where they were or within a sort of ten percent either either way, and. Um, there's a lot of commentary there about the, 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 the pluses and the minuses of the quantitative easing program the Americans have issued uh, because there seems to be um, the, the plan is vague. Uh, the allocation of that capital is, is uh, you know, not, not very detailed and there's a lot of infighting between Democrats and Republicans as to how that's going to be allocated. But what's it like sure. down where you are? Do you think... Were you reading or, or talking to people and saying, I think we could get a bounce soon? Or is it absolutely predicated on coming out of the COVID cycle? Is optimism coming back into the markets before we're allowed back in the streets? Let, let me clarify about the growth cost of not, uh, really, not relaxing isolation measures. We got a study, for instance, from ratings company, S&P ratings, which is... Uh, say our casting company, which said that pretty much the growth cost for, for quarantines and isolation measures in, in, in economies like Chile, like, like Colombia, like economies in Latin America, it's pretty much 1.5% of GDP just for the decision of staying at home, not doing anything for, I don't know, a month or something. So mm -hmm. there's a significant growth cost. What you, what you were talking about is, is pretty much central to, to, to the point here in terms of there's a, a medium-term concern for Latin America as, I mean, as, as a financial market growing among investors. I get to, to speak with, uh, with folks from, I mean, that manage EM portfolios, which have lots of Latin debt there, and that manage uh, real, I mean, direct investments in the region by way of, I don't know, fintech or, or, or whatever, I mean, startups. And the thing is, Latin America is not expected to recover uh, according to economists, as fast as maybe other countries, like maybe U.S., as you were mentioning, or, or of course, China or India. I mean, th that that package within the AIM countries are set to recover very fast last uh, next year, according to, to, to economists. Latin America, however, might suffer, economists say, structural damages from what it's doing or from what's happening to it, that it could take quite a while to recover from. So that's a concern for, for investors. In terms of the medium-term growth, also is under uh, risk, under let's say job in jeopardy. So that that's definitely a concern. Uh, if you take a look at the statistics for uh, expected growth next year, it's not going to recover as much of the economy it's expected to be losing this year. So that's a, that's a definitely concern. And if you, there were a couple of uh, significant headlines related headlines related to uh, LATAM, for instance, the IMF spoke of uh, a lost decade in terms of the economy. So that, that I mean, that's definitely getting into the investor's uh, mindset. 
and it's uh, it's 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 definitely a risk here that that some economies don't get to to fully recover from the crisis because lots of this are, are structural damages. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of countries are going to have to work out what the fundamental damage, long-term damage has been. Um, the last 10 years, I, that makes a lot of sense to me. But I think there's also a loss of, you know, in specific verticals there. Like I know Argentina has quite a strong fintech space. It certainly was, was starting when, when we were down there about three years ago we met a, you know met some companies down there um you know this people of a certain age with a certain new set of skill sets uh you know generating and, and creating a whole ecosystem um which you know could could be worth a lot of money i mean things like that are, are they gonna are they gonna survive this because people have got more fundamental things to worry about than run, running a business like how do they yeah how do they pay the bills yeah yeah What's the knock-on effect? Yeah, What's the knock-on effect? Do you think to an industry like let's take fintech because you, you, it's an area you know well. That's a good question. Yeah, uh, as you mentioned, and uh, there, there are good entrepreneurs here in Argentina, and I'd say across LATAM. Uh, I'm glad that you you got the chance to meet some of those. The thing about LATAM is it has a huge underlying fundamental opportunity, which is many of basically half the people, the adult people here in LATAM is uh, underbanked. I mean, it doesn't get uh, to, to consume as much financial services as it would need. So that's a huge gap that fintechs were starting to, I mean, we're deploying and we're starting to fill in. Uh, of course, I'm not going to lie to you, this comes as a blow as, as uh, in terms of uh, the industry, in terms of how much funding there is available. And in terms of business continuity, there, are, if you take a look at the fintech sector, there are, of course, uh, pretty much Harder, harder hit uh, sectors like lenders or, or the fintechs that relied on, 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 on well, those type of verticals. And then you got the, f the favorable fintechs, the favorite, which are pretty much those that deal with payments or which say help to uh, diminish the, the cash friction. We, get, we are cash economies here. So anything right now in isolation that is being done to uh, diminish the cash economy it's been starting to be perceived as a must-have, not not as a nice-to-have, but as a must-have. So that's an opportunity from one vertical of the fintech sector. Uh, as a whole, I'd say uh, there are some others which are under stress. The fintech lenders are under stress. They serve a part of the population, the middle to low-income segment of the population, which is the hardest hit by the crisis, where sometimes financial aid does not get to uh, their pockets, so they, can, they cannot get to run their micro businesses, so they cannot get to to continue. I mean, to repay their loans. So that's, I mean, that's a segment of the fintech industry under stress. There is huge opportunity, uh, from what I've spoken to uh, analysts and, and fintech experts here down down in Argentina, Latam for uh, those companies which deal with the, that ecosystem uh, related to payments. You know, there's, we, for instance, companies uh, also dealing with logistics. Beyond, that's beyond the, 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 the fintech sector. But you got, we got companies, for instance, like, like uh, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention those, those companies, but you, can, of course. you got, for instance, Mercado Pago, which is uh, an e-commerce e platform down here, which has a huge vertical fintech. Uh, subsidiary, or we got Rappi, which is a Colombian logistic company. We got Nubank, for instance, which is a very big online bank with a valuation over $10 billion. So you got these huge companies 
with a huge fintech play with an opportunity to expand and to see a demand on their services in wallets as well and then you got mid-sized uh, fintechs more more on the uh say the, the lending segment which are right now just trying to get by honestly and uh just just to, to wrap up if you i was i was speaking uh this week uh with uh folks from the bc community venture capital community in the us us is a significant player in terms of providing uh seed capital to uh to 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 latam companies latam fintechs uh not only us no but you got for instance softbank group in japan so you got some players here and uh, these folks were telling me they're they're pretty much concerned about their assets as of yet. They 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 are they're trying to to provide support to to keep them afloat. To be honest, and at the same time, they see valuations on the I mean plummeting. So they see there's an opportunity from a price perspective to get in. However, there's still too much uncertainty. It's not clear how many of them will will get by. How the industry will look like in a year from now. So they see a huge opportunity, but are on a more of a ripoff mode as of yet. No, I, I think it's a fascinating space, and like so when, when we, you know, play in and we like, you know, we, we're looking at more sort of enterprise solution type stuff. The, but, fu you the know, fundamentals are still there. They, they, they are, the they are still there, and the opportunities are still there. And I think it's probably a, a, to a topic for another day. Um, you know, because we, sure. we, we did like we went down there to look at various you know, enterprise type solutions, but. Also, you know, payments, pension payments to phones, um, the way, you know, using the phone as the, the, the spoken hub, as it were, uh, for, you know, cash flow throughout the economy. Sure. But with uh, a lot of, you know, and also a way of getting people back into the system, as you say. Um, well, look, David, look, I think we leave it there, but I think we found a topic that we should talk about, which is fintech, something you know, get maybe a little bit excited about. Um, but I appreciate your you know, helicopter view of the LATAM situation under COVID. Uh, sure. I do appreciate that. Uh, it'll be very useful, I think, for a lot of the people watching this show to show us just kind of start and begin to sort of dig up um, a little bit about the countries before they're investing in the countries to make sure that their money's safe and that, um, that their investments are, you know, in good, good hands. So thank you very much for your time today. Course. No, thank you for reaching out, Matthew. And feel free to reach out again if you can, if you think so, maybe in a while, so we can get a, a clearer picture of the LATAM geography and how is how how much of an impact there is. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.